What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Mind Marketing Podcast. Today on the show, we got Chris Hunter. He is the CEO and co-founder of Koya, which is an amazing plant-based coffee beverage. I think you guys are going to love hearing the story of Koya and also Chris's story, how he's kind of went through the ringer, created some big brands, ones that you'll recognize, and now how he's approaching his new endeavors and Koya and applying innovative thinking to the brands he works with. So if you're in the CPG space, I think this is the episode for you to listen to, to think about, hey, how can I innovate? And also, if you're in any company, just taking this mindset, how can I innovate within my company? It doesn't have to be always so big. It can be little things as we get into an episode. So I think you'll enjoy that. But before we get into it, guys, as always, we put on this show here at Cave Social. We're an agency. We help companies by creating content for their social media channels and also helping them with paid social acquisition there for customers, brand exposure, et cetera. So if you're needing some help on the social side, head over to cavesocial.com. We'd love to help you out. All right, sit back and enjoy this one. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the show. Today, joining me is Chris Hunter. He is the co-founder and CEO at Koya, and he's also got a bunch of other projects going on, which I want to pass the mic to him to talk about. But Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited, man. We had a good little chat there before we hit record, and I want to get into a lot of that meat and potatoes and some of the big ideas around innovation. But before we do that, I want to hear your story and give the listener some of the background. So kind of walk me through you know, your entrepreneurial journey to date and what led you to Koya. Oh, gosh, long question, but I'll try to give you the cliff notes. So I, I grew up in the Midwest, grew up in Youngstown, Ohio, went to Ohio State, always had an entrepreneurial bug. You know, it was the kid selling candy on the bus and the stereotypical like, you know, pictures up and down the street or whatever to make to make a buck and understand how entrepreneurs worked. I started my first like real venture in 2005 in Chicago with with two college buddies, a company called Fusion Projects. We're best known for creating a, a product called Four Loco, which had crazy rise, crazy controversy and all that fun stuff. And then um, shortly after that, but within the same company, I started focusing on innovation. And so I found an amazing product with a great backstory, uh, helped co-create the brand Not Your Father's Root Beer, which we scaled over, I want to say six to eight months and then sold to Pabst. And then I transitioned out of active management of that company for multiple reasons and jumped into what I call Coil 1.0. It was called Raw Nature 5 at the time with my two partners, the co-founders, Dustin and Maya, as an investor. And then when we started to you know, look at pivoting the company and, and scaling the brand and change it over to Koya, I took the lead to fund the company and then to lead it as the co-founder and CEO. And so that that's the quick Cliff Notes story about how I got here involved in this company. I love it. And you know, with all of those experiences adding up and you get to Koya, I'm sure you've learned along the way the importance of innovation, but more so like having a, a philosophy or kind of like innovative thinking. I want to pass to you, but just talk to me a little bit about how you see innovation, you know, both in your space and the beverage space and, and some of the opportunities that lie there, but then also really having that as a, a mindset so that some of the listeners might be able to go and like look at other ways to innovate their company. Yeah, I think innovation is really like, uh, look, people love to think of it in this like romantic way of like this idea just pops in your head suddenly, right? And then you innovate and it has to be this like transformative, totally new thing. And, and the reality is like innovation can be these little incremental changes that just change a feeling or a behavior or a look or a 
positioning of a product or company or whatever it may be. And I really think that stems from a variety of experiences, right? So, you know, travel, different industries, just conversations with people. And what ultimately happens is your brain works in the background to kind of start to connect the dots on things. And you say, oh, well, this worked over here and and this is kind of what we're facing here. And boom, this new idea comes about that seems like it's out of nowhere. And I think the reason I bring that up is because you almost have to facilitate, you have to foster that, right? You have to be having new experiences, having new conversations. And sometimes that involves getting uncomfortable and pushing yourself. And it's something that I've really focused on, I'd say the last five years of my life is like, I used to think the goal in life was to be comfortable. And now I realize the goal in life, at least mine, is, is growth. And so to grow, a lot of times you're going to be uncomfortable. And that ultimately uh, facilitates innovation. I love that. It's that whole, if you ever want to be a pro at something, you better be willing to look dumb doing it. It's like how I'm approaching surfing right now. I People ask me if I surf, I say I get in the water and I fall off the board. But I know <laughs> I, like, I'll never be able to ride the wave unless I go. So I yeah. think that mentality, to your point, is with anything in business and in life in general, right, is putting yourself in uncomfortable into like getting comfortable with the uncomfortable. And it sounds cliche, but it's so true. And I'd love to dive into that. Now, is that like not only in business, do you find yourself personally, like, do you think that motivation, you know, maybe it's fitness challenges, like everything in life, right? Is that one of those main drivers for you is like, okay, I'm going to try to really have growth as this backbone. Yeah, it's become over time. And I think um, there's multiple things I can look back on that maybe facilitated that. You know, one of them that's that really sticks out in my mind is having children. I have three sons. And so it brings it front and center. You know, we ask kids to do certain things. The example my wife and I always talk about is like when we were a kid and you'd go to a wedding and your parents would say, go out and dance. But they were sitting in the chairs, you know, off to the side. It's like, what are you modeling for the kids, right? And so I think I push myself or try to in as many ways as possible. So the example to, to build on that was my middle son, Maddox. I was looking for something to really kind of get involved in with him. And so we decided to do a jujitsu class on, on a Saturday morning. It was a parent-child class. And we went and really enjoyed it. And I remembered that, you know, it wasn't about jujitsu. It was about us finding something to connect on. And we went for three or four weeks. And one of the coaches said to me, like, well, when are we going to get you in here? And I'm, I'm a pretty competitive guy. And so my natural tendency is like, yeah, I'm jumping in. And then I found every excuse in the book afterwards to not do it. I'm 42. I don't start jujitsu at this age. I don't know anybody in there, yeah, blah, blah, blah. And then I thought to myself, like, what kind of example is that setting for my son? I'm telling him to get out there and, and do it, right? So that pushed me a little bit. Or sometimes it's just following the stuff that gets presented to you. As an example, I went to a conference, I don't know, probably eight years ago and heard this term breath work. Like, what the hell is breath work? I don't know what that means, you know? <laughs> and then this guy, this crazy guy, Wim Hof comes out and I get to hear him speak and I do some of this breath work and I'm like, wow, this is pretty interesting. And then I moved to California and I'm out here and I have a buddy tell me, I just did this cold water immersion breathwork, you know, class that's local here. And uh, it reignited that experience. I said, I I'm going to go do that. And I went and did that. And I came back and I told my wife, man, I feel, I felt amazing after the cold water. I'd love to go to Iceland and train with Wim Hof. You know, I don't know anybody who would want to do something like that. And literally the next day I get in a Facebook message from a buddy saying, Hey, I'm organizing a group to go to Iceland. You want to go? And it was over my 40th birthday. And I was like, holy shit. And yes, I want to go, right? And so it was probably the most uncomfortable four days of my life. But, you know, you grow from it. So I, I love that. And you said something there that's really important. And well, one, the Wim Hof stuff's amazing. But uh, <laughs> is challenging the scripts 
that are going on inside of our head. The, I'm not smart enough for this. I'm too old. I don't have the experience. What if it doesn't work? Oh, it's never worked in the past. It won't work for me. My dad said I'm bad at math. Like whatever that shit is that is like mounted up over our lives that causes these scripts to say, don't take that chance. It's like we have to actively push against those. And when you catch them, you catch yourself saying that like, I'm just being scared. Like, yes, yeah, like, be honest you with know? yourself, right? Like, yeah, I'm just scared. That's the reality of this. And I think that is something that people can use as a signal to be like, I need to do this. Like, that's right. And it can be that improv class. And maybe you've always wanted to be an actor and you're like, and it doesn't always have to be in business and in marketing. And I think a lot of it will translate down those scripts, right? But I think that is so crucial for anyone listening because we every single human being has those scripts. Absolutely. And I think you're you're right. When you feel that, you know, there's a book called Feel the Fear, Do It Anyways. And I think Look, within reason, right? You know, you stand on the edge of a cliff, you feel fear. It doesn't mean to jump. What I'm saying is you, you feel it when you actually pay attention. You're like, oh, I'm scared. Or I'm nervous. I'm whatever. Probably a, an indication that I should do this, right? Because there's some growth to be had here, whatever the outcome is, because ultimately it's all learning and growth. And I think the beautiful thing for me is, you know, I didn't grow up with that. I grew up in a very blue collar town, factory working, you know, family. And this all sounded like some woo woo shit, you know, back then. Mm-hmm experiencing it firsthand and growing from it, I now get to actually use these tools with my kids. And so to have the knowledge and um, experience to be able to weave that into the messaging at their young age, as an example, when one of them says, I can't, you know, the answer is yes, you can, or we can figure it out. Or when they say, you know, when they put up their own roadblocks, it's just like, let's just tear them down and we'll figure it out. Right. I love that. There's a great book too called It Takes What It Takes by Trevor Moad on neutral thinking. And it's like Mm. getting back to that. Okay, here's where I'm at. Here's the situation. How do I get through it? And here, okay, here's what it's going to take for me to do this. It's like all reframing the mind. And that book is all about, he's Russell Wilson's mental coach. So it's all about how do you get it to, you know, an NFL quarterback to prepare. I love this because challenging the scripts and challenging the way it's always been done And being willing to walk into that uncomfortable and white space and sometimes like the holy shit, this might not work, but we're going to try it anyways, um, is so crucial with business. And I want to talk a little bit now, kind of flip to the business side and taking that innovative thinking to Koya, but more so, you know, the beverage space. I know we talked a little bit before we hit record about how much opportunity is there, but it just takes that little bit of different thinking. So I want to pass the mic to you just to kind of talk about how you see innovation and innovative thinking specifically with that white space in the beverage company and challenging some of those preconceived notions on like, hey, you need to have a bajillion dollar company to be a success. Gosh, there's a bunch of different directions I could take this. Let's talk about Koya specifically for a minute. So, you know, I think a lot of times people develop better for you food and beverage and hold it very like preciously, meaning they're not willing to evolve it based on market feedback or fit or whatever it may be. And I think you have to be aligned and passionate with whatever you're doing, right? So we put these products out for a reason because we believe in them. Koi is a great example. But we also know maybe that you can make a bigger impact with an incremental shift rather than a massive shift. And I'll give you an example of a story I shared with you before. It's like my wife uh, is a nutritionist. She's very adamant about what we eat and what, what's in our house. And when she looked at Koya, she said, you know, this product is awesome. And she said, I'd love it to be in a glass bottle and it to be completely organic. And I said, yeah, so would I. Unfortunately, just the economics of it would make it like $10 a bottle. And then, you know, it's a very limited customer base that can buy that. And so we chose to go non-GMO certified and in a PET bottle. And 
and we're look, always looking for solutions around that. But we can make a big impact by delivering delicious plant-based nutrition at a reasonable price to a broader audience, right? Much bigger than we could have otherwise. And so I think that's an interesting part of it. The other thing is also you know, making sure we don't get wrapped up in one, what everyone says or thinks, and then two, whatever's hot at the moment. And the, the example that I mean by that is like everyone now would say D to C, D to C, you have to be the direct to consumer brand. Well, beverages are difficult to be direct to consumer. They're heavy. Ours in, in this case is perishable. So it has to ship refrigerated. And so we had some pressure to, to pivot. Now we do use direct to consumer as a channel, but we use it in a very specific way. We say, hey, It gives people access to the brand where they may not have it. Uh, We might sell specific like items through that, meaning variety packs that you can't get anywhere else just to have an entry level like to the brand, right? So, but we didn't change our whole business model to focus on direct to consumer because it was popular, right? And so I think that's really important as well. I want to jump in for a sec there because you said something I think is so important, right? Especially in the drink space where we look at direct to consumer and this is the popular narrative. But when we actually start to look at like buyer behavior and buyer incentive, a lot of times it's fries with that economy. So the retail space, the shelf space, having distribution partners, having those partnerships where you can get in front of that customer who's like, when they are in a location and thirsty, they make, they choose the plant based natural the product right. and go, oh, Koya, not like, oh, we want to have this big inciting incident. They're on their couch. They're going to order 48 at one time. We hope they do. Right. But a lot of the, that purchase behavior coming like in the store when they're walking through, you know, wherever it is and like, oh, they see it. And they're like, I'm thirsty. Oh, that's the best option for me here. And so, and it, oh, the price is right too. Okay, cool. And then it's like, now we look at, I think a lot of times, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, but like the retail can a lot of times be the first exposure and getting people to try retail partnerships through distributors, et cetera. And then if they love it, then you now have DTC as a repeat avenue. Like, oh, I have to have my fridge stocked with. Well, you can do it both ways, right? And so I'd agree with you. I was talking to somebody yesterday who made this comment. He said one of his mentors told him this and I loved it. It's like, if you don't have a retail business in beverage, you don't have a business. And I'd agree with that, right? Retail is the key. And for the reason you just mentioned, look, our mission is convenient, nutritious, delicious, plant-based options for everyone. You can't have convenient if you don't have it in retail locations (laughs) for the reasons you just mentioned, right? And so I would agree with you that once people are familiar with the brand, they can use D2C as a a pantry loading, or in our case, a, a refrigerator loading option, right? What we've also done, though, is we've used these variety packs as a way to take advantage of all the traffic on, on e-com. And I mean, look, we live in a digital world, right? So people can now try it in a accessible way, not over committing to one of our 19 flavors without having tried some of them. Right. And so, so I think you can flip it a little bit as well. And I'll give you, I'll give you another example about the kind of how uh, retail slash availability matter for us. So when we say convenient, delicious, nutritious, plant-based options for everyone, you also have to look at locations. And, and you mentioned a minute ago, like when you look at a fridge and you say, well, this is the healthiest option available. Well, where has potentially the worst options available? Travel, right? Airports is an example. And now they haven't been open this last year, as we know, those are locked down by the major companies, right? They have contracts, only their products are allowed in many of the retail locations. So how do you get in? It sounds like an uphill battle. Well, again, and and it is, but it would be easy to say, well, that's a little too difficult. We're not going to focus on that. But again, this, this idea of how do we get innovative with it? And if we can't go in the 
front door? How do we go in the side door? How do we go through the window? There's a book called The Third Door that I love that talks about that mentality. But anyways, there's a, there's a new emerging company that is amazing called At Your Gate. And their model is that you can download an app and on the plane or as you're approaching the airport, you can order food that will there then be delivered to your gate. They actually will deliver it on the airplane now. Mm. And so we talked to them and they said, oh, yeah, we don't we don't necessarily need to be in the retail locations. We need to have one place to pick it up within the airport and we can help you with that. And so now now we have this whole new creative, innovative solution to potentially serve what seemed to be a very difficult market to access. And challenging those scripts, right? Of that's like, right. oh, the airports are locked down by Coca-Cola. Like, that's what it is. It's Anheuser-Busch, it's Coca-Cola. It's like, and then it's like, ah, right? Where, sure, that's, this is like art of war stuff, right? Where they have the big walls up. Okay, go where there are no defenses, right? Exactly. And thinking like that, I love that. Oh, there's we're in a tech-enabled world where someone can go click, click, click. I want my Koya, I want to have this layover because I want a coffee. But to your point, and anyone who's a road dog who's listening to this, like those little pre-made salads from the, the convenience stores at the airports, like you get tired of those real quick and you end up at a Chili's. So it's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. So it's like, okay, right? How do we help that? Right. So I love that thinking is like, where's the side door? How can we enable the consumer when like they're landing, they're thinking, okay, I got to lay over, I got to get some work done, or I want this, or maybe I just showed up and then looking for those solutions and putting them out into the marketplace is awesome. And then from the product side and the business side, it's challenging these scripts of, oh, airports are eh, not worth it because there's going to be someone who's like, oh, it's not worth it. That's a fight we can't fight. And I love that idea of taking the innovative thinking to go, how can we be nimble? How can we be the ninja in this instead of just like the overpowering army? So yeah, I, exactly. I love that. Exactly. And, th- and then even challenging the script on how you build a successful, one, what is success? And then two, how you build a successful beverage company. So when I look at it, stepping back, the most difficult part is for me is scaling because we have to fight battles every day, as an example, to get a meeting with that retail buyer, right? And that retail buyer only does a review once a year and they're being pushed by the big, there's all kinds of reasons why that scaling part is very difficult. I think what I've done in my career relatively successfully is kind of come up with concepts and and innovation, build the brand, you know, understand why it's interesting to consumers. And so with the newest company that I started uh, called Supernova Beverages, What we focus on is we want to essentially be an innovation hub for some of the largest beverage companies in the world. And the example I give to them is like, look, there was a brand called Ballast Point, a beer brand here in San Diego. They sold the Constellation a couple of years ago for over a billion dollars. And then four years later, Constellation literally shut that down and sold it off at a small fraction of what they bought it for. I don't care how big you are. You can't do that that many times, right? So if I were them, I would be thinking, how do I get earlier access to interesting you know, products that have potential that can leverage what I do best, which is scale? The way I'm thinking about it is, look, we don't need to grow a $200 million revenue brand and then sell it for a billion dollars, right? I mean, everybody wants to be able to do that. But if we could create some innovation with a partner in line, ready to go, that we can stand up, prove out, and then transition into their existing system to scale 
at a low risk way uh, or a low risk value to them that's still meaningful to a company like us and then ride along with the success? Well, it seems to be a win-win-win for everybody, right? But it takes a shift in mentality about how you think about winning and success. Is that kind of like you know, for lack of a better term, but like a CPG accelerator almost, you know, you see it in tech a lot, like that type of relationship. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to butcher butcher it, but like, yeah. that's kind of what it like feels like. It could like. be, and, it could yeah. be, but an accelerator is probably bringing in other, you know, people mm-hmm. and companies and concepts and maybe we go that route, but really this is kind of like in-house innovation, maybe maybe in partnership with some of these companies, maybe just we see the white space in the in the category, right? Or in the uh, in the industry, we develop something and then figure out who the partner is later. So Again, it's just an evolving mentality. Look, Koi is well on its way and we're in a different kind of like uh, path and strategy with that brand. We've already saturated over 16,000 retail doors across the country. We've, we just introduced our low sugar smoothie line. We're, we have a clear path to be a $400 million company in revenue, not in terms of valuation. But that's kind of going in its own direction. This is just another thing that's like, how do you keep getting these ideas out? And to your point, like, if I'm afraid to fail, I can't do that because I, mm-hmm. I would only put out what I almost know is a success. And if that's the case, uh, you're limiting, you know, really exploring fertile yeah. ground. That's where the innovation gets halted, right? If we're just like playing it safe all the time. It's like, okay, it's like in the NFL, if they just kept playing it safe, we wouldn't have shotgun. The Kansas City Chiefs wouldn't be here right now. So right. if we hand it off 20 times a year. Yeah. <laughs> um, Chris, this is awesome, man. Thanks for coming on today. Before I let you go, let people know where they can go grab some Koya and learn more about it online and uh, where they can connect or follow you online. Yeah, great. So you can find Koya at Drink Koya on all platforms. It's out in about 16,000 retailers across the country, ranging from Whole Foods to Wegmans to Publix to Kroger's to 7-Eleven now, uh, which is a very exciting partnership for us and GoPuff digitally. And then myself, you can find me at Christopher Hunter on LinkedIn or underscore Christopher underscore Hunter on Instagram. And then uh, you can find the first brand from the Supernova Beverage portfolio. It's called Soul Set uh, Enhanced Hard Cell. So you can find that on, on Instagram as well. Amazing. And I'll put links to all those in the show notes page. I'll also put links to every book we mentioned. So if you're listening to this, you can just head on there, check out those brands and check out those books. Chris, Thanks so much for coming on today, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, buddy. All right, everybody. That's it for this episode. As always, I'm your host, Jordan Shelton, and I'll catch you next time. Um.